I'm Courtney Smith. And I'm Elise Sharp. And we are two Shakespeare nerds who decided to make a podcast about our love for Shakespeare. In this podcast, we will tackle as many dimensions to Shakespeare's plays as we can by looking at the text, examining the historical context in which it was written, and how the text is viewed through modern lenses of feminism, racism, classism, colonialism, nationalism, ableism, all of the isms. We will discuss how his plays shaped both the past and present, and, as actors, how his plays can be responsibly performed today, all while trying our best to approach his works without giving in to bardolatry. So, Shakespeare anyone? Hi listeners, it's Courtney here. If you are listening to this episode after 2023, you might be wondering, who is this Corey Lee Smith host? When we started this podcast, I went by that stage name, Corey. I've chosen to leave my stage name and, as you know, I now go by Courtney. But before you enjoy past Elise and past Courtney's episodes in our back catalog, I wanted to clarify the name switch. Now that I've set that straight, I invite you to sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Hello listeners, this is Courtney. Elise and I are so thrilled to continue bringing episodes of Shakespeare Anyone to listeners like you for free. We do this out of our love for Shakespeare, theater making, scholarship, and decentering dead white men. We put a lot of hard work into research, recording, editing, and generally producing a podcast. With that said, I'm here to remind you all that we have a Patreon page if you want to support our current work and our future goals that we believe Patreon will help us achieve. We've created a variety of support levels and continue to create exclusive bonus content for our patrons on a monthly basis. Our bonus content so far includes Shakespeare Stuff We Loved This Month posts, where we share the Shakespeare-related products we are obsessing over. Not only that, but we already launched bonus episodes. One is an extension on our conversation with Dr. Simone Chess about John Lilly's Galatea and Early Modern Trans Studies. And the second is a conversation with special guest Stephanie from Protest Too Much Podcast, in which we review Joel Cohen's Macbeth starring Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand. Elise and I also discuss Shakespeare-adjacent content, like movies, TV shows, books, to name a few, and share those conversations exclusively to Patreon. These are incredible conversations you can unlock as a patron. We also have plans for additional bonus episodes, including more special guests, more film reviews, and even an Ask Us Anything. Distinguished patrons even receive exclusive voting power and snail mail. If you would like to join us and support the production of this podcast, or just check out the Shakespeare-themed names we've given the support levels, head to patreon.com slash shakespeareanyone. The link will also be in our episode descriptions. And if you like what you hear, Elise and I would greatly appreciate it if you could rate, review, and follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Your review might even make it on an episode. When you're done, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and then tell a friend. Word of mouth is our best form of advertisement. Thank you for listening and all of the support you give us and the podcast. Now, onto the episode. Welcome to another Shakespeare Anyone mini-episode. In these mini-episodes, 
we'll be exploring topics that are related to Shakespeare but aren't necessarily connected to whatever play we've been discussing. And they're many because, well, they're shorter than our other episodes. They're like quartos if the regular episodes are folio editions. In today's mini-episode, we are exploring Shakespeare's language framework. We will discuss technical elements of how Shakespeare plays were written, as well as provide tips and tricks for navigating what can be a major hurdle to reading and performing Shakespeare, the text itself. How do you actually start to understand what is written on the page? Although Shakespeare's language can feel very removed from our current modern English, Shakespeare didn't write in Old English or even Middle English. Elizabethan and Jacobean-era England spoke and wrote in what is known as Early Modern English, a sort of linguistic transition period between Middle English and today's Modern English. This is based on linguistic characteristics such as grammar. One example of this is pronouns. Shakespeare uses a pronoun and verb tense that we don't use anymore, that quintessentially Shakespeare informal second person of thee, thou, and thine. The other second person pronoun was the more formal you and yours. This construct is much like tu and usted in Spanish. Even with this extra pronoun and verb tense, Shakespeare's English is actually more similar to the language we speak and write today when compared to Middle English literature such as Geoffrey Chaucer's Canterbury Tales or the Old English epic poem Beowulf. Despite the similarity, the actual format of Shakespeare can and does trip up the reader. Now, if you've ever cracked open the cover of a Shakespeare play, you can probably picture how the lines are written on the page. In most cases, they aren't in paragraphs, like in books, or even written like other theatrical scripts. Instead, they look like poetry, and are written in lines of, generally, ten syllables each, which may or may not follow a rhyming scheme. When the lines are structured like this, they are referred to as being in verse, like poetry. Shakespeare wrote lines in verse roughly 70% of the time. If you are ever asked to memorize or perform a Shakespeare monologue that is in verse, then the teacher or director is expecting a section that is structured like this. When lines look like a regular old paragraph, they are written in prose. Prose is language that is written without a metrical or rhythmic structure. Most novels, essays, and articles are written in prose. Now let's go back and dissect in verse a little bit more. Verse means that the lines are written in a distinctive pattern of rhythm. Remember the poetry bit? These patterns are called meter, and meter are made up of sets of syllables known as feet. And yes, a singular set of syllables is called a foot. The specific style of verse that Shakespeare primarily wrote in is called iambic pentameter. Iambic means that each of the syllables, or each foot, in a verse line follows a pattern known as iam. One unstressed syllable followed by one stressed syllable. Pentameter is when there are five sets of feet in one line. So to bring this all together, one iam is the pairing of one unstressed and one stressed syllable in a foot, and pentameter is when there are five of those feet in a line. Do a little fast math and you'll know that five sets of two gives us those ten syllables per line we've been talking about. Altogether, there are actually seven different types of poetic feet and the particular rhythm of each is defined by which syllables are stressed or accented in the foot. There's the trochee, stressed syllable followed by unstressed, which would sound like bumpa. The pyrrhic, two unstressed syllables, bupa. The anthebrach, 
which is a set of three, unstressed, stressed, unstressed, or ba, bum, ba. The anapest, two unstressed, followed by a stressed, ba, ba, bum. The dactyl, a stressed, followed by two unstressed, bum, ba, ba. And the spondy, two stressed, bum, bum, or the, you know, intro to law and order. And, of course, Shakespeare's favorite, the I am. Unstressed, followed by a stressed. But bum But just because the format of iambic pentameter looks similar to the format of poetry, that doesn't mean iambic pentameter has to rhyme. When the iambic pentameter does not rhyme, it is referred to as blank verse, which is how Shakespeare and his contemporaries wrote most of their work. Blank verse iambic pentameter is the most similar to the natural speech patterns of the English language and... Fun fact, it also mimics the sound of a beating heart. Ba-bum, 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 ba-bum. This heartbeat rhythm is incredibly important to making Shakespeare's words sound right to the audience's ear. Modern actors use a technique called scansion to scan a piece of verse in order to identify its rhythm and use that rhythm as a cue for how to act the line. How syllables are accented in each verse and line can give the actor a ton of information. While the theatrical concept of subtext, or a character's internal thoughts that aren't explicitly written on the page, didn't take shape until 150 or so years after Shakespeare, Shakespeare's rhythms provide a roadmap for what the character is feeling and how the actor should say the line. For example, if a line starts with a trochee instead of an I am, then the emphasis is on the first syllable instead of the second. This tells the actor to start that line with more urgency, and it can help them think about the character's state of mind. Maybe they are interrupting the character who previously spoke. Maybe they are getting heated or in a hurry. Whatever the reason, clearly this character is trying to get attention. If there is an extra syllable on the end of a line, the character may be rambling or not speaking with conviction. This is because the double ending, as it is called, forces the line to end at an unstressed syllable instead of a stressed one, the proper ending for iambic pentameter. With a stressed ending, the last word is strong. With a double ending, it's softer. So, lines are also not always ten syllables long. Occasionally, a line will have an entire extra foot, which, remember, means two whole extra syllables in iambic pentameter. The actor has to try to fit more into the same space as everything else, just as the meter has been overwhelmed, so has the character who is speaking. Shakespeare often wrote lines that were shorter than ten syllables as well. When an actor finds a line that is shorter than ten syllables, it is a cue to stay silent for the remainder of the feat in that line. A little acting hint from Will himself. Those unspoken syllables remain in the overall rhythm of the verse, while the actor justifies acting through the silence. A pause can also exist in the middle of a line. These are usually brief, take the place of one of the syllables in the line, and are typically noted using punctuation, such as a period. These brief pauses are just enough time to take a breath and then head into the next thought. Pauses like these are referred to as sejura when talking about the rhythm of a line. A sejura tells the actor that the next thought or idea comes quickly on the heels of the previous thought. Additionally, in verse, Sentences or thoughts do not necessarily end at the end of a 10-syllable phrase, so actors will also pay close attention to where periods, also referred to as full stops, occur in a section of text to inform the speed at which they have to say the line. In general, one sentence should be able to be said in one breath, 
So if there are a lot of words in between two periods, the actor must either speak quickly or take a large breath to get the words out and reach the next thought before they run out of breath. There are also occasions where the pronunciation of a word or a few words in a line are changed in order to make them fit ten syllables. To make a word shorter, Shakespeare, or the actor, uses elision, which is the elimination of vowels or the combining and slurring together of vowels. This is something we still do in modern speech. Think natural instead of natural, or dangerous instead of dangerous, or the last syllable of one word blurring into the first syllable of another. A common example of this in Shakespeare is pronouncing do it as doot. Shakespeare often indicates with an apostrophe the words that definitely should be elided. Think or instead of over, or contractions like tis instead of it is. Most often with elision, the words being shortened are not so important in the overall line. They are shortened to make sure that the important words are clear. The opposite of elision is expansion, and between the two, it is probably the more famous one. If you've ever heard someone pronounce a word that ends in ed and accent that suffix when pretending to speak Shakespearean, you know what expansion is. Think of Juliet's monologue after she finds out that Tybalt is dead and Romeo is forbidden to return from Verona. Instead of banished, she repeats the pronunciation banished. Or if you remember Boy Meets World, Eric's fee-hee-hee-hee-ni call is also an excellent example of expansion. Just like today, when someone chooses to over-enunciate and emphasize syllables in a word, it is being done to bring attention to that word. Maybe they are being sassy or trying to make a point. Or, in the case of Juliet, the implications of that word are so big that it bursts out of its normal pronunciation. Now, I know that is a lot to think about when cracking open a script. And as an actor and a Shakespeare coach, I see a lot of people who can get hung up on trying to find weird rhythms all over Shakespeare. And figuring out the rhythm can become more important than understanding the content of what a character is saying. So my advice is to borrow a phrase from the TV show House, when scanning a line of Shakespeare, think horses, not zebras. The majority of lines should fit in the normal iambic pentameter rhythm. Then, if you or I stumble across a line that seems off, double-check it, triple-check it, and then if it still really does not fit the rhythm, start looking for elisions, expansions, sejuras, silent syllables, and other types of feet like trochees but the final product should have words that are pronounced in a way that is still understandable. Understanding verse is useful today and would have been incredibly useful to Shakespeare for a few reasons. One, it is a great tool for line memorization for the actor. Think of how easily you remember song lyrics without having to sit down and memorize them. Two, paper was expensive. Actors were only provided with their lines and cues instead of a full script. So verse could be another way to save paper. It all fits pretty easily on a quarter sheet. Lastly, verse heightens the language above regular speech. This is why Shakespeare often uses it to separate the ordinary from the extraordinary. Lovers often speak in verse as a consequence of their heightened emotional state. And class also plays a role. Lower class characters will speak in prose, while lords and ladies will speak exclusively in verse. If a character switches between prose and verse, it is a great indicator for the actor that the character is moving between the ordinary and the extraordinary, or code switching depending on who they are talking to. And that's all the time we have today. 
but there is loads more to discuss about Shakespeare's language, which is why we'll return to this topic in future mini-episodes. Stay tuned and let us know if you have any specific questions about Shakespeare's language you'd like us to answer in a future episode. Thank you for listening to this episode. I'm Courtney Smith. And I'm Elise Sharp. This is Shakespeare Anyone? Thank you so much for listening to Shakespeare Anyone. Works referenced in this episode are available in the episode description. Our theme music is Never Ending Minute by Sounds Like Sander. If you would like to support us, it would help us out if you would hit the subscribe button, like us, leave a comment, write a review, share us on social media, tell a friend about us, all the things. We'd appreciate it. You can also support the podcast at patreon.com slash Shakespeare Anyone. Patreon patrons get access to exclusive bonus content throughout the year. The link is also in the episode description. For more, you can visit our website, shakespeareanyone.com, follow us on Instagram at shakespeareanyonepod, or Twitter at shakespeareanyone. For Twitter, that's Shakespeare Any and the number one. Every other platform is spelled out like the name of the podcast. Now, because you listened all the way to the end of the credits, here's a completely random Shakespeare quote for you. From Venus and Adonis. Thus stands she in a trembling ecstasy, till, cheering up her senses all dismayed, she tells them tis a causeless fantasy and childish error that they are afraid, bids them leave quaking, bids them fear no more.